right. Well, good morning. This is two weeks in a row that we are being hit with snow on Sunday morning. So uh, I'm glad you made it here today. Uh, Hopefully you made it here safely in one piece and hopefully you make it home in one piece today. So uh, I wanted to tell you about one of my one of my shining moments growing up. And I don't know if you can think back to like your childhood. You think back to your your shining moments. But one of my shining moments was a long time ago, a teenager, uh, there was a youth event that I was invited to go on. And they used to do these things called youth rallies. And uh, I don't know if they still do those, but but I went on this youth rally. And what happens is you go to this place and you have this event. And so we've got all these teenagers riding in a bus. Okay. Now, like any good youth event, the bus broke down. Like that, you know it's a good event when the bus breaks down, right? So the bus breaks down, and I'm, I'm still new to Christianity. I'm still trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like for me to be a Christian? Like, I've, I've prayed the prayer, but how do I actually do this? And so I'm on this bus. The bus broke down, and what happens is all these teenagers start singing songs. And they all take turns singing solos. And so, you know, one girl would come up and she'd sing a song. And I'd be like, oh, that's so beautiful. And they'd clap. And, and I'm trying to, and it just keeps going. Like this revolving door of people singing. And I'm like, all right, so I guess I need to get up and sing. Problem, the only Christian song I knew is my dad. I remember my dad, he had this like old country, western twangy kind of voice. And he would sing, how great thou art. And I remember him singing that. And so I said, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to sing this song, How Great Thou Art. So I got up at the front of the bus and I sang. It was amazing. Everybody was in tears, okay? Now, I didn't realize their tears were not the tears I was anticipating. They were a different type of tear. Uh, Because if you know anything about me, there's a reason I stand up on the front row when we sing. Because I just don't have a voice. In fact, my brother-in-law is one of the worship leaders. And every week I, I audition for the worship team. And every week he's like, no, you cannot be on the worship team. You don't have that spiritual gift. And it's just this, this idea, this, this reminder uh, that, that here I am trying to figure out what does it look like for me to be a Christian. And, and I try to conform to everybody around me. I mean, everybody around me is doing it. So I'm going to do what they do. And I embarrass myself. And made people cry because they were laughing so hard at my wonderful singing voice. And this is something that we do in our society. Whether you're a teenager, you know, teenager, the, the, the mantra of every teenager, and my generation had it, and your generation had it, is as teenagers, we say, I want to be different, just like everybody else. And that's what teenagers do. They want to be different like all their friends. And so then we look and we can say, well, that's teenagers. But the reality of it is all of us, whether we're a teenager or an adult, We have this temptation to conform to the society around us. In fact, there was an experiment done by a psychologist a number of years ago. And he he, he took a room, and in this room he had had four pieces of paper with with graphs of different sizes, or lines with different sizes on them. Okay, So you got four lines on these papers, all of various sizes. And he'd bring a group of 12 people in. and, and, And the 12 people, what their job was, was to vote for the line that was the longest. Okay, so you've got this room, you've got these, these posters with these lines on them, and you're supposed to vote for the one that was the longest line. Uh, the problem was, is he had told 11 of the people before they came in, I want you to vote for the wrong line. I want you to vote for the wrong line. So, so this group comes in, there's, there's 12 people, 11 of them vote for the wrong line. And the 12th person, you can see him just kind of sitting there and kind of debating, do I, do I go with logic? Do I go with a real answer? 
Or do I conform and follow the crowd, the other 11 people that said the wrong thing? 75% of the time, okay, they, they, they ran this 12 different times. 75% of the time, that person, that 12th person, they conformed and they followed the crowd. And they voted for the, long, the line that was not necessarily the longest because that's what everybody did. And they conformed to the society around them. See, we have this propensity in our day and age. This is just the way we're wired. We have this propensity to conform and to begin to, to be like everybody else. And this is a problem for us as Christians. Because as Christians, we are called to stand out from the crowd. In fact, First uh, Peter chapter 2, I'm quoting from Leviticus chapter 11. Peter says that God says, I'm holy. And because God is holy, therefore you and I should be holy. Now this word holy means to be set apart. It means we're supposed to stand out. As Christians, we're supposed to be a little bit different from the people around us. And so this is going to be the the idea that we're going to deal with for the next uh, couple of weeks. We're going to deal with this idea of of what does it look like for us to stand? What does it look look like for us to stand out for our faith? And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Uh, If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up and uh, we'll get someone in the back who can come and bring one of those to you. If I can get some help back there. Uh, If you're looking for the book of Daniel, just open up your Bible to the middle of the Bible. You'll find uh, the book of Peace Psalms, also known as Psalms. And if you turn just a few books to the right, you'll find find, uh, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel is uh, after that. You'll find Lamentation somewhere in there as well. It's a smaller book. You might slip right past it. But we're going to look in the book of Daniel for the next couple of weeks and understand what does it look like for us as Christians to to stand out, to stand for our faith. And so there are six stories from the book of Daniel we'll deal with the next six weeks. And uh, uh, really this idea of how do we stand out for our faith. So with that, we're going to open up today in Daniel chapter 1. And uh, before we do that, I'm going to just ask you to join me in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Thank you for a warm building to to be able to come and and join your people. Uh, God, we know that the church is not a building, it's the people. So God, we're thankful for the opportunity to be gathered with your people. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, draw us in, that you would still our heart, that you'd allow us to hear your word today. That we're not coming here today to hear a pastor's opinion on the best way to live, but we're here to hear your word proclaimed. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, your word is active and living And God, I pray that you would speak to us and give us exactly what it is we need to hear today. God, we love you and praise you, and we ask your blessing in our time together. We ask this in your name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 1, the first couple of verses, is going to give us a little bit of context for the book of Daniel. And we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1, looking at verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this puts it in context of, of history. This occurred in 605 B.C. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Isn't that a fun word? Besiege. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, Youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature of the language of the Chaldeans, 
And the king assigned to them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And this is the context for the entire book of Daniel. We can look at the book of Daniel. We can see all the fun stories. We can hear about the fiery furnace. We can hear about Daniel in the lion's den. But we can't miss the idea that Daniel takes place in, in, in the context of captivity. God's people, the Israelites, are now in captivity. In fact, next to verse 2, where it says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You might write in the margin of your Bible, Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25, because if you were to look at Jeremiah 25, verses 3 through 11, it's going to tell us what Jeremiah has to say about this. Jeremiah says, hey, for 23 years, Israelites, for 23 years in Judah, I came and I preached to you, but you never listened. And Jeremiah says, and God sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and they came and they told you to repent of your evil ways. They came and they told you to to turn back to the one true God and not worship all the false gods. But Israel, you didn't listen. You didn't listen. So Jeremiah says, therefore, God is going to send his servant, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi. He's going to come and he's going to come against you. And he's going to, he's going to devote um, you to destruction. He's going to banish you, Israelites, out of the land. He's going to bring ruin and, and wasteland into the land. And he says, you're going to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. This is what's happened. Israelites have disobeyed God. They haven't listened to the prophets. They've, they've worshipped false gods. They haven't worshipped the one true God. And so God sends Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the Babylonians to come in and to take Israel as captive. And this is a context for this book. Because they failed to stand out. Because Israel failed to stand out for God. God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and overthrow the people, take them captive. And not only does it says that he, he took them captive, it says that uh, he burn, uh, he's going to burn the temple. The temple is the house of God. It's the, the place where God's spirit dwells. And, and because King, when King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he comes in and he burns down the temple. And not only does he burn the temple down, he goes in and he takes some of the nice things that belong to God. He takes some of the nice furniture. He takes some of the nice silverware and plates and cups. He takes some of the nice things. And when you think about God, you want to give God nice things. So he takes those nice things that Israel has given to their God. And he takes them back with him to Babylon. And he puts them in the temple of his false gods. He says, hey, look, look at you now, Israel. Like you worship the one true God. In that society, your, your success, your wealth was, was based on how strong your God was. And so, and so if your God was strong, you were going to win the battles. If your God was strong, you were going to be wealthy. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar coming in. And he's saying, you know what? I killed your God. I, I, my God is stronger than yours. And to, to prove that, I'm going to come in and take these things that belong to your God. And I'm going to take them into my temple to give to my God. And so you captives, if you ever have the idea that you're going to pray to God and call out to God and say, God, deliver us. Nebuchadnezzar is going to remind you, hey, your God is dead. Remember all the stuff that belongs to your God? It's in my temple because my God is better than your God. So... Nebuchadnezzar takes these things uh, back, to, back to Babylon with him, and he takes them back into uh, his temple. And not only does Nebuchadnezzar take that stuff out of the temple, but Nebuchadnezzar is also going to take people. 
In fact, verses 3 and 4, uh, you see this. And you can write in your Bible on the margin, 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 7 to 16. Because in 2 Kings, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar called for 10,000 of the brightest and, and best of the best of young Jews to come with him back to Babylon. He says, I want 10,000 of the brightest of the best. And the description in the text is these people are young. These, these people, they take, they're handsome. They're beautiful. They've got, they've got the hard bodies like me. Just kidding. They, 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 these, are, these are smart people with, with wonderful skills and great aptitude and great potential. These are the people in high school that were voted most likely to succeed. Nebuchadnezzar takes 10,000 of these people back to Babylon with him. You say, well, why does he take all these people back? Well, you can just imagine, you can just imagine, this is their future. This is 10,000 of their best young people. This is their future. And you can have this idea that, man, if, if Israel decides to revolt, if they try to stand up against King Nebuchadnezzar, all he'd have to do is, is kill those 10,000 young people, set their heads back on a cart, and say, remember, we are in charge. You're under our control now. So this is the, this is the idea. This gives you an idea of who Babylon is. Babylon, they don't value God. You saw what they value. They value, they value uh, power and, and control. They value wealth. They value, uh, they value youth, or at least the appearance of youth. They value beauty. They value skill. I mean, aren't you glad our society isn't like that? And it says in verse 5 that for three years, King Nebi, he tells, he tells uh, those 10,000 youth, I want them to be bombarded. I want them to be trained in, in the Babylonian ways. I want them to forget their things from Israel, forget their God. I want them to be completely bombarded and trained to, to act like we act. To live like we live. To think like we think. To eat what we eat. To, to become one of us. These 10,000 young people are supposed to be indoctrinated in Babylonian society. Which would have meant they would have learned witchcraft. Which would have, been, would have meant they would have learned about all the false gods. And so this is what he wants them. I want you to be indoctrinated. Now this is a context. You've got these young people who are forced into captivity. They're forced to be a minority in a godless society. And this is what we're going to wrestle with. This is, the, this is the, the, the question that this book wrestles with. Is will these young people. How will they stand for their faith? How will they stand for God? When everybody around them says your God is dead. How will these young people taken in captivity. Will they remain faithful among the faithless? This is a question that the book of Daniel is going to, to wrestle with. And I think this is so valuable for us because, really, is our society any different? I mean, is our world any different than, than Babylon? I mean, we've essentially abandoned God. And I know, I know, well, we, 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 give, we give a nod to God. And, you know, when tragedy happens in our country, we put on Facebook, we're sending our thoughts and prayers. But do we really value God? Our lifestyle shows something different. Our lifestyle shows in our society, that we don't value God at all. In fact, people will say God is dead or, or, or God is for the weak. And if you're one of those weak people that needs God as a crutch to make it through, then you can have your God, but he doesn't really have any eternal implications in somebody's life. 
See, we, we live in a society that says there's no objective truth. We live in a society that says, well, you can believe in your God and, and that works for you, but I'm going to believe in something different and you can't tell me that your God is true and mine isn't. In fact, we live in a society that we can get in trouble for saying Merry Christmas. We live in a society that a high school football coach who voluntarily prays after the game gets fired because he's praying in the name of Jesus. That's our society. Well, we haven't forgotten God. Really? We're indoctrinated with our American values. Like we have this idea of the American dream. Like this is, this is what we're all supposed to pursue and achieve. We need a, a, a 3,500 square foot house. We need two cars. We need a boat. We need 2.5 kids. We need a white picket fence around our house. And we need to retire and be able to go on cruises because that's the American dream. And we're indoctrinated with this. This is, this is what you're supposed to pursue. In fact, you can look at the media. You watch TV. You watch the movies. You look at even in print. You know what you see in those things? You see young people, very attractive, very sexy. You see people who, who are, uh, uh, have wonderful skills. I mean, this is, why, this is why Tom Cruise has been successful for the last 25 years, right? In fact, the only, the only movie I can think about that I've seen recently that is, shows a real person. You ever seen Paul, uh, uh, Mall Cop, Paul Blart? Mall cop. Here's a guy who, who's, who's in his upper 40s. He's overweight. He's got no great skills. And there's a movie about him. How many movies are there like that? There's not many of them. See, our society is indoctrinating us with this idea of what our world values. Youthfulness, or at least the appearance of youthfulness. Beauty. Wealth. Skills. And I know, like, for, for some of us, like, it's okay because that's who we are. And for the rest of you, I'm sorry. You just dream of being like us, right? So this book, just as much as it is for, for Daniel and the Israelites, is for you and I. How will you and I remain faithful to God among the faithless? We, will we stand out for God? Will we stand out for our faith in a culture that either diminishes God or completely abandons him. So today, today we're going to introduce us to the heroes of the story. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're going to teach us, they're going to teach us that, they're, that we are to stand out for God. That we're to stand out in the right ways, in the right times, in the, in the, in the, in the right, play, right reasons. And let me, just, let me just be bold here and say something here. If you're not standing out for God, if you're always blending into the society around us, can I just be bold and say, man, I can't say you're truly following after God. Because if we are truly following after God, we're going to be set apart. We're going to be a little bit different than the society around us. We're going to stand out for God. So here's, here's where we're introduced. Verse 5. It says, The king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And he says, among these, verse 6, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. These three boys are probably 12 to 15 years old. These are young people. 
And as soon as they get there, you see they changed their name. Well, why did they change their name? Did they change the name because it's easier to pronounce? Probably not. Yeah, I got one joke out of that, one laugh. No, they changed their names because it stripped, of them, stripped them of their identity. Their names, their original names, tied them to the worship of the one true God, the God of Israel. And, and what's going to happen is their names are going to be changed to false pagan gods of Babylon. In fact, Daniel, Daniel, his name means God is my judge. And his, his name gets then um, changed to uh, Belteshar, which means may Bel, who's one of the false gods of uh, of Babylon protect his life. His name is changed from God is my judge to this false God. Let him protect you. Hananiah, his name means God has been gracious. His name is going to be changed to Shadrach, which is a command of the Aku, which is the moon God of Babylon. Mishael, his name, is, his name means who is what God is. Who is like God? And his name gets changed to Meshach, which means who is like Aku, again, that moon god. No one's like Aku. Azariah, his name means God has helped. And his name gets changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebu, which was the agricultural god of Babylon. So these young people, they're having their identity changed from, from a worshiper and a follower of the one true God to who Babylon is, worshipers of these false gods. And not only does it say it changes their name, remember it says it changes their diet. Verse 5 says they're going to eat what the king eats, and they're going to drink what the king drinks, and, and, and they're going to do in every way become a Babylonian. And here's the key, verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. See, Daniel makes a decision. He says, I'm not going to defile myself. So he asked the, the, the chief guy in charge of the palace, a palace master. He says, hey, let us, let us eat something different. And the palace master says, no, I can't do that because I'm afraid of what King Nebuchadnezzar will do. You want to know what King Nebuchadnezzar, kind of person King Nebuchadnezzar is? You can write in your margin of your Bible here, Jeremiah chapter 29 and Jeremiah chapter 39. This gives you an idea of who Nebuchadnezzar is. In Jeremiah 29, uh, two kings that, that Babylon defeated, King Nebuchadnezzar takes those two kings and, and impales those kings alive on a stick. And roasts them over a, over a fire. Jeremiah 39. He takes a king that he's defeated. And he binds them. And he binds them up in front. And he brings his family in front of them. And he takes a sword. And he slits their throat. And he takes that family. And he cuts them into little pieces. And then he goes up to that king. And he gouges out the king's eyes. And lets that king live into his old age. But the very last image that king is going to have forever. Is his family. Dying in front of him. This is who Nebuchadnezzar is. And this palace chief, he's saying, no way. I know who Nebuchadnezzar is. I know the kind of man he is. I'm not going to go against. I have one job. My job is to make you young people look good. So that way you go before the king and he likes it. He says, I'm not going to risk my life for you. 
Well, this is where Daniel decides to draw a line in the sand. He draws a line in the sand. And over what? Over food. He draws a line in the sand over steak and wine. Like, what's got wrong with this kid? Like, like, like what's gotten into his head? That doesn't sound so bad. You say, well, what's wrong with the food? Well, you might look at the Jewish uh, dietary laws in the Old Testament. Dealt with how meat was, was cut and how it was bled. But that doesn't explain why he wouldn't drink the wine. I think the, the context of what happens here is this food and this, this wine that's supposed to be the king's was probably dedicated to, to those false pagan gods. And this is where, this is where Daniel says, man, I want to honor God. I want to honor God. And, if, and, and, and eating food that was dedicated to those pagan gods, that would cross a line that I'm not willing to cross. I'm not willing to go there. So verse 8 says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food. The King James Version translates it, and he says that he purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart that he's not going to be tainted with the world. He's not going to allow God's name to be famed. He's not going to discredit his own testimony. See, here's what I find interesting. See, up to this point, Daniel has not fought back. Daniel's taken as captive. He didn't fight back against that. Daniel's forced to enroll in Babylonian public school, Babylonian university, and learn all about the, the witchcraft and all the things that the Babylonians learn about. He didn't fight against that. Daniel has his name changed. He didn't fight against that. All of those things are things that were done to, to Daniel. He, they were a little bit reactive. He said, and you can picture Daniel saying, you know, you can call me what you want. You, you can call me what you want outwardly. You can put me in a culture. You can bombard me with your society, with your values. But Daniel says, this is who I am, and I'm going to take a stand here. I'm not going to allow myself to actively do something that I know is wrong. And eating that food and drinking that wine, that was an active thing. He draws a line on the sand and said, I'm not going to allow my testimony to be affected. And we look at this and we think, well, that sounds like a one-time event. Like, like one time Daniel and his friends, they said, okay, we're not going to do this. Now, actually, this drawing the line in the sand happened day after day, week after week, month after month. These guys had to stand out every breakfast. They had to say, we're not going to eat that. Every lunchtime, they had to stand out and say, we're going to be different. Every dinner time, they had to say, hey, we're not going to touch that. Time and time again. Because what, you, what you're going to find as you grow as a Christian is that when you're fully following Christ, you find that the closer to God you get, the more you end up standing out. Because you realize, I'm going to, to make a stand for Christ because I'm not ashamed. Because I understand what God has done for me through Jesus Christ. So Daniel resolved in his heart. He had a predetermined resolution. Before the temptation ever came to him, before the, the, the meat and the wine was placed in front of him, he had decided what he would do. He decided what he wouldn't do. Resolved in his heart. Imagine, imagine if they hadn't pre-decided what they would do. Imagine if, if they walk into that cafeteria that one day. Imagine they would have done what I've probably done more times than I like to admit in my life. 
probably just would have conformed to what everybody's doing around them and then justify it. They would have justified it. They would have said, hey, you know what? This looks pretty good. I mean, this food, it looks good. And, you know, obviously it comes from meat and God made animals. So, I, you know, I can justify it and say I should eat this meat. I can justify it and say, well, I need to eat something, don't I? And this is what's in front of me. I need to eat it. So I'm just going to justify and conform and eat the meat and drink the wine. I could say, well, well, Daniel could say, I'm just going to do it once and God will forgive me, right? God will forgive me. I'll just do it once. It's not that big of a deal. Daniel could look around at all the other Jewish boys, all other uh, 10,000 of them that are eating it and say, well, all the other Jewish boys are doing it. It's not that big of a deal. God will forgive me. See, David's, Daniel's success came because he had pre-decided. He predetermined. He says, before he ever got in the cafeteria, he determined ahead of time, I'm going to do the right thing. See, as, as believers and as followers of Christ, this is, this is something we need to hear. Our success will often be determined by what we decide to do ahead of time. Oftentimes, our success will be determined by what we decide to do or not to do ahead of time. And listen, I just, I don't know who this speaks to. I know this speaks to me. And I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to just put this in your heart. Are there some things in your life that you need to predetermine in your heart? That you need to decide, no matter what, I'm always going to do this. No matter what, I am not going to do this. I'm going to predetermine in my heart. I'm going to serve God and I'm going to honor him in this way. Just a little example of my life. I love football. Football is my favorite sport. My favorite place to watch football is in a stadium. And if you'd like to send me to a stadium, I will gladly go and watch the Seahawks play any week. My second favorite place to watch football is in my living room. I love sitting in my living room and watching the game. I've got my kids around me. But the problem is, it is two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten times in a football game. Undoubtedly, the, the cameraman is going to do a close-up of the cheerleaders. Now, I know some of you are saying that's not that big of a deal. It's, you know, who cares? And listen, guys, we are visual. We are driven visually. And, and if we just say it's not that big of a deal, it's because we're justifying it. Okay? So I've had to make a predetermined solution in my own heart. Hey, if the camera goes to the cheerleaders, I have my phone with me. And I've pre-decided in my heart, I'm not going to allow myself to linger on the TV when the cheerleaders are on because I don't want to cause an issue in my heart. So I've got my phone. I'm going to check social media. I'm going to check stats. I'm going to do something on my phone. I'm going to be in conversation with my family because I don't want to be enamored with what I see on the TV. This is an example I hope my kids watch and learn from. I've made that resolve, that resolution. In fact, another thing I've predetermined is if I'm in town, I'm just at church. That's just the way that I am because I need the teaching of God's word. I need the fellowship of God's people to empower me in my life to be successful, successful with the places that God has placed me. See, what is it that you need to resolve in your heart? What's that decision that you need to decide before you ever get in the backseat of the car? I'm not going to cross this line with my girlfriend, with my boyfriend. Make sure I have these boundaries. 
What is it you need to resolve in your heart? I'm not going to participate in the discussions that, that dog the authority, that, that knock the people that God's placed over me. Um, I, I'm going to choose that when there's gossiping, when there's belittling of people, I'm going to choose to walk away and not participate in those conversations. I'm going to choose not to have intimate conversations with people of the other sex. Sure, I'll be generous and nice to them, but I'm not going to open myself up to that type of conversation that could lead my heart away from where it's supposed to be. What is it that you need to resolve in your heart before you ever get in that situation to decide this is what I'm going to do in that situation or this is what I'm not going to do in this situation? Because what happens is when we pre-decide that in our heart, when we make that resolution we, to honor God, what happens is we begin to stand out. We begin to stand out in the right way. Listen, if you're not always standing out, if you're not standing out, you're always blending in. Again, I ask that question, are you truly following after God? So here's the wisdom of Daniel. The palace master, he says, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to allow you to eat something different because I'm afraid of what King Nebuchadnezzar will do. But Daniel doesn't leave it there. It says in verse 11, Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over him, over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be giving vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the other youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. I love what Daniel did here. You notice, did he throw a big protest? Did he stomp his feet and say, I can't do this? And did he make a big scene out of all the people there? Did he pick it? No. No. With wisdom, he presented a plan that honored and respected the authorities above him and said, hey, can we just try something else? You see, we're to stand out for the right things and in the right way. But how many times have we seen Christians stand out for the wrong things in the wrong ways? I mean, you think about this. You think about the Facebook Bible, uh, Bible thumpers, Bible police, where you're just doing something on Facebook, and all of a sudden they're going to come and take the sword of the Spirit of the Bible, and they're going to start stabbing people with it and say, you're wrong. You can't be doing these sort of things. Like, we as Christians, sometimes we stand out for the wrong things in the wrong ways. And there's a right way and a, for us to stand out. Daniel does it in a right way. He honors the leaders above him. He says, hey, can we just try something different? Something else that I recognize in this. You know, we can look at this and say, well, 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 there's a diet plan that he just gave. We're supposed to live on vegetables and water. Listen, this isn't a diet plan. This is something supernatural that God did in these young people's lives. I mean, vegetables and water shouldn't make you fatter. Shouldn't make you that much stronger. But here, Daniel, Meshach, and, uh, and Abednego, man, that obedience that they gave to God, that decision to stand out and obey who God was and what God has called them to, it brought blessing. It brought protection. This is a supernatural work that God did in their lives. 
Verse 17 says, And for those four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding of visions and dreams. Here's something I want you to underline in your Bible. It says, verse 17, God gave them learning and skill. In fact, we skipped over a couple parts in this, verse, in this chapter where, 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 again, God is doing something. God is giving them. Verse, verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Israel over to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 9, it says, God gives Daniel favor with the palace master. This is a constant theme we're going to see throughout this book. It's that God's sovereign hand is at work. Like you can see, the whole progression, God's hand is at work. Nebuchadnezzar taking them captive was because God gave them to Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Daniel favor with the palace master. God gave these young men wisdom and and knowledge and the ability to interpret dreams. And this is one of the reasons why, what's our confidence to stand out for God? Because God is sovereign. God is in control. God is working things out in our life. And when we have that confidence that even in tough situations, that God's hand is at work, man, there's a vote of confidence in that. that. That comes from just knowing that God is in control. That I can do what God's called me to do because I know God is working behind the scenes in ways I can't even imagine. And here's what it comes down to in this chapter for Daniel and his friends. It comes down to titles and testimonies. It comes down to titles and testimonies. Because if I'm going to be 100% truthful with you, there are some times that I care more about what people call me than I do about my conviction. There are times that I'm more concerned about my roles and my titles than about the convictions that God has given me. Because that's my title. That's my reputation. My reputation is at stake. Anybody anybody else been there? More concerned about that title than the testimony? See, values aren't what we claim. We can claim to have all the right values. We can claim to have all the right beliefs. Values are not what we claim. Values are what we do. They're how they're lived out. And here's what Daniel says. He says, I don't care what you call me. You can take away my Christian title. I don't care. You can call me moon god boy. I don't care what you call me. You will not touch my testimony. You will not touch my heart. Because I've purposed in my heart not to defile God's name before I ever got to the cafeteria. See, this is where we worry about things like titles. God worries about our testimony. We want salvation. We want God's blessing. And God wants our obedience. We want the perks that come from from serving and loving a great God. And God wants him and his word to impact every part of our life. We worry so much about the wrong things and not the right things. It's not about titles. It's not about respect. It's about our testimony. And this is the example of Daniel. He says, I don't care if you make me live within these walls. I don't care if you bombard me with your society and your idol worship. He says, I will not join allegiance to any other king. I know who I serve. He says, I I will learn your system. I will seek the welfare of your nation. I will make it a better place. But it will not change who I serve, and it will not change how I make my decisions. In fact, as we look through the, the book of Daniel, we're going to see that there's going to be greater trials that come. 
Because each trial leads to a greater challenge. I mean, Daniel and his friends, they had no idea that in chapter 3, they're going to face the fiery furnace. Daniel had no idea that in chapter 6, he was going to face the lion's den. But what he did know is I have to make a decision today in my cafeteria. Makes me think, you know, some of us, we're, we're, we're sitting here wondering, man, I want God's protection. I want God's blessing in my life. Where is it at? We're getting ahead of ourselves. We want to be in Daniel chapter 3 or Daniel chapter 6. Before we get there, this is where Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. We want God's blessings in great things. Are we obedient in the small things? Just to bring this to a close, verse 19, it says that the king spoke with them. And I love this. It says, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That three years passed, all 10,000 of those young kids are brought before the king. And none of them were found to be as strong and as smart and as good as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a supernatural work of God. That God gave them wisdom. God gave them a knowledge. God gave them the ability to interpret visions and dreams. And in fact, these three boys are remembered 3,000 years later because they were willing to stand out for what matters most. I mean, had they compromised, had they been like everybody else, we wouldn't be talking about them today. But they made a decision to stand out. And here we are talking about their example today. Listen, I don't know about you, but with all of my heart, I want to re- be remembered for standing out and not forgotten for blending in. This should be the, 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 the thing all of us walk away with today. We want to be remembered for standing out and not forgotten for blending in. Listen, in the midst of a faithless society, the question for you is, will you stand out? Will you remain faithful among the faithless? Listen, we can do this. We can do this because Jesus stood out for us. Jesus died for us. And he called us not to conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So let's do this. Let's stand out. Let's be remembered for standing out and not forgotten for blending in. Would you pray with me? God, just thank you for who you are today. Thank you for just this book and the example that we have of these three, four young men who made decisions to stand out for you, who made decisions to say, I'm not going to conform. I'm not going to blend in. I'm going to be, God, who you've called me to be. And I just think about all of us in here today, just taking a moment right now, reflecting in prayer. And how many of us would say that? How many of us would say, man, I really want a spirit of boldness. I want wisdom. I want courage to know when to take a stand and when to let go. I want to know when God shows that this is worth it. I want God to give me the courage to stand out, to be different for the glory of God, to show his love and show his heart to the world. How many of us say this is our prayer today? We want that boldness. We want that wisdom and courage to stand out, be in light of the world. Man, we should walk out of here 
super excited and have this, this passion within us to stand out for who God is, for what he's done in our life. Just in the spirit of prayer, man, I would just ask you to, to, to cry out to God and ask God, man, is there any area of my life that I need to resolve, to predetermine, to predecide, to always do something or to never do something else? I believe that God is speaking to some of us here today, showing you that today you need to resolve in your heart, predecide, are you going to serve God? Are you going to obey God? Are you going to honor God? Are you going to resolve today to stand out in the right ways and the right time? God, I just pray for each of us as we personalize this and and walk away and say, God, what is it you want to show me today? God, we walk out of here today willing to stand out for you. We spend our time in this time of response that we have right now saying, God, I'm going to make that resolution before you today. I'm going to pre-decide in my heart. God, I want to be obedient. God, I want to follow. God, I want to stand out. God, I pray for protection over every one of us. Protection from the temptation to conform to the world around us. God, just thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your presence. Jesus, we love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.